0: Welcome to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and Dee, Dee. I'm Maz Mary
1: and I'm Dana Delval. Whether you're a person on an addiction sobriety path or you know someone who is, we're here to talk about our journey with it.
0: And more importantly, we want to help end the stigma and shame of alcoholism.
1: And we want to bring some hope and laughter along the way too. Thanks for tuning in. Morning. Good morning. I don't know if you can tell from the background, if you know the show, you absolutely can. We've moved into the summer studio. That means spring must finally be here. Right? Yes. Yes. All right. We'll take that from the yeah. uh, plant cell wall biochemist, a.k.a. our local resident meteorologist. Well,
0: You can tell it is spring because we have a, I suppose it's two and a half feet high raised bed that we grow herbs in in the summer so yesterday dana took a picture of a bunny that managed to jump into it so
1: naughty yes the rabbits are in full force who had any idea that having a dog and then not having a dog would make such a difference to the rabbit population anyway this is not a show about our deceased dog we are super 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 excited today we have a brand new to us guest we just met her three and a half minutes ago so we will be learning all about arlena allen along with you she hosts the podcast the one day at a time podcast i was listening to some episodes this morning i cannot wait to talk with her so let's bring her on yes all right let me pull her up remember everyone you can ask questions and we will see them so listen and engage with us arlena hello hello there how are you thrilled to have you with us thanks for joining i'm so, so excited to be here it's great so arlena you're in boise Boise,
2: Idaho, yes ma'am. It's so beautiful there. It really is, and it was so funny because I'm from California. When my friends, we moved out here, we followed some friends out here, and when they were moving,
1: I was like, Boise, why Boise? What's in Idaho? Then yep. I came out there and I was like, oh, damn, we're moving. A lot of things are in Idaho. Potatoes, a, lot of, a lot of geographic beauty and potatoes. Yeah, yes. potatoes. I know,
2: I was going to say, there's more than potatoes. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, when you marry an Irishman, he's on the quest for potatoes always. Oh. <laughs> right yeah he he eats enough potatoes for both of us yes there we go well Arlena, let's jump right into it because your story's really interesting uh and just well worth sharing first of all i just want to say that i happened to come across the fact that you have been sober since august april 23rd 1994 so you just celebrated your twenty
0: eighth oh, year of my sobriety. Congratulations!
2: Like, Thank you so fine. much. Yeah, I feel super blessed, and uh, I celebrated it in Miami with five hundred other women at the She Recovers event. I'm not. I don't know if you're familiar with oh, that no, organization. It. Yeah, I mean, so their tagline is everyone's recovering from something, but it was so much fun, and it was beautiful, and I just feel super blessed. And like, why? Why me? Why did I get so lucky? But well, I would
1: argue it's luck and work. You did some. Work. <laughs>
2: I know you why. Wake
1: up one day under some sort of shiny star and be sober.
2: Oh, shiny star! Wouldn't that have been nice? No, <laughs> yeah, I did not wake up. It was more like somebody else's ceiling. I was like, "Uh, that's not my ceiling." <laughs> <laughs>
1: how are you here again?
2: <laughs> yeah. So,
1: so let's go into that, Arlena. Talk about that journey from wherever you want to start to uh, twenty-eight years and a few days ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's super important to talk about
2: family of origin stuff. Cause that sort of sets the context for the entire journey. You know, my parents, my dad is from Kentucky. My mother is from Mexico city. And um, there were 400 years of ministers on my dad's side. and my mother, she wasn't like super Catholic, but there was a lot, a lot of God growing up in my household and not a lot of drinking. My parents did not, um, Display the drinking or using behaviors at all. Um, but a couple of things happened to me when I was very young. Um, I was molested by a neighbor and that at a really young age, and then my parents divorced. Oh. And, you know, being, and then we, you know, there was a lot of church in my life too. So I had this idea that I was bad trying to get good, you know. Oh. And then um, when these things happened to me, I sort of, in my child mind, decided what those events meant. It meant that I was bad. It meant that I wasn't worthy. It meant that I was broken. And I felt like I had, you know, was spending my time and thoughts trying to be saved or um, get well or whatever. I don't know. So I thought I've had this feeling that I was fundamentally bad or broken. And so, you know, when I found alcohol at the tender age, it was between eight and 10. And I really just cannot, yeah, I was young. I cannot wrap my head around it being much younger than 10. I, my, I met my stepdad when I was 10 years old. He gave me my very first journal when I was 10. And obviously it was before that my mom had gone out on a date and my sister and I were left home alone when I had my first drink. And I don't know why I decided to do this, but I decided to have a drink. I have an older sister. She was almost two years older than me. She never left home alone when mom went out to dinner. And I thought it'd be a great idea to drink some of the booze that was in this bottle in the cabinet. must've been left over from a party. And I don't even know why, where that idea came from or why I decided to do it. But I'll tell you what, when I took that first drink, it burned my lips. It burned all the way down. But when it hit bottom, that warmth spread through my whole body and all the, I hate to say self-hatred and self-consciousness, but all that was lifted and all I was left with was this amazing feeling. And I actually didn't realize how bad I felt until I felt really good. It was like the juxtaposition of those two feelings, like was burning my psyche forever. And yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that was my first drink. And then it was sort of, and I got, I um, was falling down and I threw up, my sister cleaned me up and put me to bed. And she never said anything to my mother. Years later, I asked her, why didn't you say anything to mom? And she said, because I would have gotten in trouble. and It really just speaks to the dynamic in our house of, you know, taking inappropriate responsibility for others and not taking enough responsibility you know, years later, you know, through a lot of work. that's For a lot of, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I realized that was the dynamic. So that's kind of how it started. And that sort of um, theme was consistent right up until I was 25 years old and, and you know, crashed and burned and decided to get some help.
3: I thought wow. I wouldn't
2: let
1: you ask a question. I will totally ramble if you let me.
2: No, no, this so, is what this show is this, what this yeah.
0: about.
1: If if it was no,
3: a that's
0: Tuesday
1: Thursdays is about someone no, else, so I, that's fabulous.
0: An, an old friend of ours now, he once said to me because he listens to us, he said, "You know what's good about you two? You let your guests speak." Oh my gosh! Do you so, know
2: that is probably the number one criticism I get on my podcast? Is I have questions, I get excited, and I and I interrupt people.
3: They get so mad.
2: I have to look at it. You yeah. will
3: often
1: see me do this.
0: Yeah, I do that. <laughs> I think, think now I'm trying to stop myself. Like
3: <laughs> you guys are like holding yeah. each other back. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: it's kind of you know it's a little bit of a trigger thing that, that happens with us. But um oh, fine. Wow. But that's um, you know, one of the things that's so interesting, and I say this all the time, but it continues to surprise me. Is just this idea that every everybody we talk to, almost everybody we talk to, has some sort of incredibly unique story because every life is unique. Yeah. So many of the emotional responses to alcohol are the same.
3: Oh yeah, Yeah. I
2: I I see that too. I say that you know our circumstances are different,
3: but the feelings
2: are all the same. Like I speak at a lot of meetings and stuff, and sometimes I walk into a room. And I'm aware that, you know, I kind of, um, you know, I'm a middle-aged white woman. I have my act together. And, you know, when you do certain things for a long period of time, you accumulate a certain, some stuff and whatever. And I walk, sometimes I walk into a room, like a rehab, I walked into this uh, women's center, Mariposa, in uh, California, And I looked at these women, I thought they look very different from me. I'm afraid they won't relate to me. But then I started talking about the feelings. You know, there was a lot of stuff that happened between that first drink and the last drink. Mm -hmm. Right. There were things like, um, you know, I often had that experience when I was drinking that I would just. Like, I had two alter egos. It was either Wimpy Wendy or Badass Betsy because I was either crying or fighting when I was loaded. And I'd wake up the next morning and be like, what was that all about? Huh. And I realized that I was never taught any coping skills right? Mm-hmm. Like when I was growing up, my mom had two feelings. She was either really happy or really pissed. And I felt like she saved her happy face for the outside world. I mean, she was a hard working, I, I get it. It's like I'm a middle-aged woman with two kids myself. Now I get it. But at then I didn't,
3: mm-hmm. right?
2: I didn't know what, and my predominant feelings growing up were guilty and wrong. Right. And so my covering strategies for this, not enough, not good enough was achievement. So I became like this achievement junkie, you know, it was like the the good, not good enough was sort of like hardwired and it wasn't really, I, you know, and I don't blame my mom or anything like that. You know, she grew up in a very different time and with a different skill set, like no skills really. Like her mom is like, she's 95 now and she was one of 10. She didn't have time to, you know, cater to my nurture nurture her, protect her, all yeah. this stuff that I needed her to be for me right? She wasn't those things. It was kind of like, oh, I gave you girls a lot of
1: independence. And
2: I was like, oh, it kind of felt like abandonment, but okay.
1: but uh Isn't that so true? My mom was just here earlier this week and my mom and I have a great relationship, but occasionally we will sort of dip into Mm -hmm. the years that I lived at home when I was growing up. And that perspective piece is so important. The way Mm -hmm. I saw something and the way saw the exact same thing might be night and day and neither perspective perspective is wrong but it sure clouds how you move yeah. through the world that's really interesting that you're able to have those conversations
2: with her like how how open can you be with your mom can you do you are you able to be like oh that really hurt my feelings when this happened yes
0: yeah i, I actually just recently witnessed um, mm-hmm. that, and it's it's not if i said that to my mother she'd
1: it would be a different yeah, conversation. She'd go
0: hysterical and wouldn't talk to me. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, she wouldn't. She would be offended. Yeah, yeah I I have an extraordinary mother. She, when she's, I mean, I can't believe she hasn't already written in. She will. But when <laughs> she sees this, she's going to be ill that she went home yesterday because she could have just popped in and said, Arlena, let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you about this. One. <laughs> Which she would have done. Yeah,
3: let me tell you my
2: side of the story. Well, it's so yeah. interesting because um, you know we all grow and evolve and change, right? And my mom. Definitely grew and evolved and changed over the years. And it was so funny because to see her interact with my kids was amazing. You know, and I used to tell my boys, you know, that sweet little lady that comes here? That is not the bitch. That one, is, is not yeah. that's your grandma. That is not my mom. Yeah, <laughs> no, that
3: is not my mom.
2: Uh, You know, she changed a lot over the years, but still to the day she died, she couldn't really hear me. And I learned not to, you know, you don't go to the hardware store for bread, right? So Uh every once in a while, every once in a while, I would want her to validate my negative feelings. My mom didn't do, my mom didn't do negative feelings. She was like the most positive, happy person you will ever meet. She wouldn't discuss. And so if I tried to share something that was you know, causing me pain or whatever. If I needed some validation, if I was tempted to share with her, she would skip over it and go right to solution. And I just felt so unseen and not heard or understood, but it bothered me less as, you know, I was sober a long time, right? So we had a lot of time together where I was uh, behaving appropriately. So uh, I just learned not to take certain things to her and ask her for something that she couldn't give me and it was okay.
1: Well, I do think when you become a parent yourself, you do have the opportunity to try different things to realize, oh, wow, so I'm not doing what she did, but I'm making my own catastrophic mistakes as a parent. (laughs) Also, I think to develop some grace because you realize even even good parent-child relationships are hard. It's a lot of work to parent and we're all showing up as well as we can. And you got it. It is, it it is, is really hard. hard.
2: Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. So the work, a lot of the work I do now is around, you know, uh, helping people get sober, but once we get sober and identify patterns of behavior, sometimes those patterns are hard to change. Even if we have the awareness and I do uh, hypnosis with my clients to sort of really change that subconscious programming, that's very difficult to get to. And like, cognitive behavioral therapies or other kinds of therapies like they they all work but uh, I I found I was so interested in the subconscious mind and how our brains work and you know one of the processes I do is the forgiveness of others and Mm
3: -hmm. you know
2: and I went through the experience myself I, I sat you know got into a hypnosis state and the facilitator was like you know visualize your mother sitting in a chair across from you and you, she's not going to be able to she won't remember this after she leaves it was permission to tell her all the times i felt hurt by her and the lady was like really egging me on let her have it get it all out get all and it was like a somatic experience too it was it's just so all the stuff we do after recovery is so weird sometimes <laughs> i here for it i was like yes i'll do all the weird things because listen Let's not get it twisted. I did a lot of
1: weird stuff when I was, I
3: was getting lifted. Nothing
2: weird
1: than what you did. Yeah. Simply drinking too much
3: alcohol. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So um, it was really amazing. It was an experience to get it all out to express all the anger and disappointment. And then she had me switch seats, where I was my mom, and I had to explain and account for all the things that I did, like being my mom embodying my mother and speaking for her. And it was like that realization that, wow, she was just a woman doing the best she could with limited information. And the truth of the matter is is that she did a phenomenal job in her life. Like she just passed away six months ago and I can look back on all the things that she did. Thank you. Yeah, I can look back on all the things that she did and I was like, wow, she was really amazing. Uh She did the best she could. And it just gave me a level of empathy for her which in turn allowed me to give myself some empathy and grace for my own mistakes as a mom.
3: Yeah.
0: I mean, let's, yeah, let's get to a place of peace and celebrate a life knowing that this, yeah. I'm not going to forget it because it was worth well remembering.
2: Yeah. Actually. It's so interesting. I had this really, I'm having difficulty articulating.
0: Hopefully it'll,
2: I'll be able to have this really interesting experience. Um, so after my mom died, it was like, all I could see is like the amazing woman that she was. It was like all the things I had been holding on to. And that was really one of the things I regret is not being able to resolve that resentment to like nothing. Cause mm-hmm. there were times when she was with me and she'd be telling me all these stories about her neighbors and people I didn't know. And I'm like, you're not asking me anything about my life. Right. But she knew all about all the neighbors and it was, you know, I didn't take it well. You know, and there were times where I was like, oh, you know, like withholding love for mom because, you know, whatever human. Mm-hmm. And after she died, it was like all I could see is the good things about her. And I sort of had like this weird, like, how am I judging me right now? Like, you know, our souls eternal. What if my soul after I after I die and ascend to heaven, I'd be like, oh, I wish I would have seen all the good things about me. Just That's like, do you know, does that make sense? I don't know if I'm ever going to explain this
3: right. But that no was
2: like a gift to me. That was a like gift to me is like, you know, she left this world and then I, and I had that experience of like, Oh, all I see is the good. Oh, that's right. That's all that matters. Like when she was dying, I was listening to her conversations with her friends. They were to all that, you know what they were talking about? They were talking about how they were there for each other during the hard times that they loved each other, that they had a lot of good laughs. And that's all that mattered. That's all that mattered in the end was that they loved each other and they were just, and that saying, we're all just walking each other home. Yeah. That's the truth. I have such clarity about my day-to-day stuff now.
1: Wow. I didn't have it before. That is a gift. That's yes, an incredible that gift good. that I now know. you're sharing with us. So thank you. Thank you. Um, I popped this up from my mother. I knew she would chime in, but I have to do a quick. She said, Hi,
3: your mom?
1: Yeah, so. Hi, and Alan and made one name. So she did correct it, but to know that. Arlena, congratulations. First of all, I'm loving your story. Of course, you know that your mother did the best she could, and you also know that it wasn't the best for you if you were missing something. I'm indeed the mother they are referencing, and all I have done is take Dana's friends under the same umbrella and be the p- missing piece of mother they yeah. might be, which is yeah. true. Yeah. And you know, so sometimes- many applications for surrogate moms. <laughs> <laughs> she she likes um, Idaho. So I would say just connect <laughs> the, the two of you, and you'll be set. <laughs>
0: I've actually had conversations with my sister. We're both parents now, and um, we sometimes we, her and I would talk on the phone, and we'll come to the realization that we started the conversation um, complaining about our mother, and then realize that our mother was right, and we're both sitting there going, "Damn it, whose turn it is to tell her? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to admit it. Right? Like, no, you did. I did it last time. It's your turn." <laughs>
2: Well, isn't that funny though, because, uh, I, I, the, the idea of right and wrong is really fuzzy. Cause like we were talking earlier that perspective, everybody has their own perspective based yeah. on the information that they have. Right. It's like we establish some thoughts and ideas and beliefs, and then we make decisions based on the information that we have. And then we take action. Right. And then we invoke the law of cause and effect. And sometimes, you know, we, we keep getting effects that we don't like when we have to realize there's an error in the presupposition somewhere in the, you know, initial information that we have. Like if you keep making the same decisions, taking the same actions, it's like, you're right on a track and then you just end up in the same spot and you're like, how did I get here again? Right. We have to examine our thinking. And, and sometimes it's like when, you know, going back to, you know, right and wrong. And it's like, Oh, mom was right. Yeah. Mom was right. A lot about a lot of stuff, but Is it really about right and wrong or is it about I had this perspective? And because my sister and I can stand shoulder to shoulder and witness a situation and we come away with two completely different meanings,
3: Uh Mm. you know,
2: based on who we are, what we believe about the world and ourselves and what we're capable of. It's so interesting. So like and all information can be useful within the right context and
1: perspective. Well, right. it can also be taken out of context yeah. and shaped into what you want it to be or not be. Right, yeah. Now, if somebody changes course and shows up trying to do something different, but you're expecting that they're going to do the old thing, then, then you may not even notice that they're trying something different, that they're trying to engage or account for their past behavior or whatever. <gasps> I mean, I, I think as the spouse of someone in recovery, that has been an interesting challenge for me if if Maz does something today in sobriety that kind of puts me back into feeling like I used to feel when he was drinking I have to say to myself that I have to recalibrate he's entitled to continue to make make mistakes as a human being (laughs) doesn't mean he's drinking it doesn't mean that suddenly he's wrong and I'm right like it used to be I've had you also Grow, adapt, evolve, and and um, recognize that just because I feel the same way I used to feel doesn't mean it's the same situation it used to be. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's it's
2: triggering triggering something that's unresolved from the past, and I think it's so interesting because when you know when moms try to give us information, you know, like I was talking about before, there's something very important about validating somebody's feelings first before moving to solution. So yeah, mom tried to tell you something that was some good information that was, you know, right or helpful or useful. But if my feelings are not validated, if I don't feel heard and understood and seen, if my feelings aren't validated, I'm going to be stuck there. I'm going to be stuck there until until my feelings are validated before I can move on to solution. Because the truth of the matter is, is I feel like most of us already know what the
3: solution is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like maybe you just need to send us a bill. This feels like (laughs) therapy, (laughs) lay out on the couch.
2: Any moment. So I I did that same thing. I interviewed somebody and she, uh, I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, we're gonna do some free therapy for Arlena.
1: Wow, you're so, you're so great. Mm. We do, I mean, if, I guess you have to take the addiction piece out of it. Like if I think about when Maz was in the throes of his addiction, he might have known the solution, but he had no, no way to get there because his addiction just clouded everything. So unless you're in that moment, I think we do kind of know the solutions, but you're right. If someone doesn't stop and say, I hear you, I see you. I'm sorry. I, whatever needs to be said, then you're right. As the person who has revealed that you are stuck there and all of the solutions in the world, aren't going to move you forward because you're, you're trapped in a place of feeling invisible. Invisible. Yeah. I need
2: to be seen and heard. Yeah. It's so funny. Like with my husband, I tell him, I mean, the, the, the best words I have found is I can see how you feel that way. Mm. Right. Isn't that good? And with my husband, sometimes I tell him, I know now what it is that I need to hear. Right. And so sometimes when I vent to my husband, he was raised with three women. So he's a great listener. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows not to fix. Right. But I actually am somebody that needs feedback, too.
0: You're
1: doing a good job of of not fixing.
0: Oh, I appreciate dear. that.
2: Anyway. anyway, so I'm going to give Miles a little a little pro tip here. So well,
3: this, <laughs> <laughs> this is really for Dana.
2: I, I need to know what it is I need from him when I approach him with, and if I need to vent, I need to know what it is that I need. And so I will tell him, look, I'm having some feelings. I need to process out loud. All I need is for your, is a poor baby and a hug at the end of this. And he'll be like, okay, I can see him brace himself. He's adorable. I'm like, Okay, go. <laughs> I'm like, <"I> <laughs> you know, do my thing. This happened and that happened. You know, and I explore all my feelings and I let it all out. And then I look and I'm like, and he goes, Oh, poor baby.
3: Give me a hug. I can see how you feel that way. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. That's all I needed. And then I'm off on my merry way because I know what I'm supposed to do.
1: <laughs> that supposed is so to- so true. And I am sorry for the men in our lives who um attach themselves to women who have a lot to say. <laughs> I have a lot to say about almost every topic, whether I have feelings about it or not, know anything about it or not. I'll jump yes. to anything. So I appreciate that it's not it we're there we're not easy women to be married to. I'll just say that. I'm gonna make an assumption about you Arlena in the you know 50 35 minutes. Well, I'm so easy to live with I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs>
2: Well, I kind of understand that some people need talkers because they don't—they
1: don't, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to say anything. They don't want to fill the void. Yeah, I'm happy to fill all the voids. So <laughs> it's, it's about finding the person who can yin and yang you. I think. Um, I, I'm curious to know about your podcast. Let's let's transition sure. that a little bit because it's a really lovely place for really. Really great conversation. So talk to us about your podcast.
2: Well, I have a kind of a cool little story about how it started. This is actually my second podcast. The first one I did um, was a sales podcast. I used to do technology sales in Silicon Valley for 10 years. And I was like, there's no women. Women are underrepresented. So I thought, and I like to talk, so that's <laughs> like podcast. Um, but it was really on my heart to do one around recovery. But I am twelve-step oriented, and you know the traditions state that we maintain anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And I was really struggling with this conflict. It was a dream on my heart, but I was like, I didn't want to be excommunicated, so to speak. Um, I didn't want to lose my community. But then something happened. So I attended a 6 a.m. meeting every morning for years. And there was a lady there that attended the meetings and her name was Gina. And Gina had been suffering with headache, chronic headaches, chronic pain and insomnia. And she was at at the meeting at 6 a.m. and was in a single car accident and died three hours later. And I had known Gina for probably 15 years. And Mm -hmm. she and I were almost the same age. She was a couple months older than me, but she kind of, she and I kind of looked the same and she had changed so much. When I first met her, she was really angry and, you know, over time she had softened and just blossomed and graduated from college and was just starting her career. And, um, and I was so heartbroken and Mm -hmm. I thought, and I related her So I was like, you know what? I don't want to die with this dream on my heart. Death has a way of clarifying things and changing your priorities. And I decided that if this was a dream that was on my heart that I needed to follow through and do it. So that was almost six years ago and there have been um, almost 210 interviews. I've talked to people from all over the world, from sex trafficking victims to housewives and you know, construction workers and technology people and, you know, every walk of life uh, I have interviewed a lot of authors and doctors and, and really my goal is to just share the information that saved me. Mm-hmm. I was going to die if, and you know, I used to drive drunk and do all the, put myself in very dangerous situations and it really talk a lot about how dark it got for me. But um, it got very dark and I am, um, I'm just so blessed that I survived it. And so when you have like a near death experience like that, and you find information that that saves you and transforms you and changes your life, it's tempting to shout it from the rooftops. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm That's what I'm doing. I mean, I I share my story a lot. I share other people's stories because everybody's. It's like you were saying, you know, maybe the circumstances are different, but the feelings are all the same. Mm -hmm. And that's where we connect. We connect at the heart level. They say that addiction or alcoholism is a disease of isolation, and connection is the cure. So that's what I'm really trying to do is is to try to bring forth stories you know, different stories of people who have recovered so that those that are still struggling and people who feel lost can find their people and feel connected and and really blossom in life
1: because that's that's a thing, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's absolutely where, where we're at too. Mm-hmm. We felt like there was just such a, we, we, we feel so blessed that Maz came through that and that our marriage yeah. made it. That's it. That's great. Can I tell you that that is a miracle? You guys are amazing. Thanks. So it's like, yeah. I, we, I mean, I, I knew nothing about alcoholism going into this journey. You didn't really know that much about it either.
2: No,
0: I was a firm believer I wasn't an alcoholic.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, you had to
2: be right. It was the thing that was, you know, it, it's it, so the alcoholism thing is a funny thing because right. I, to a certain extent, it's the thing that kept me alive. Because if I had to feel all the feelings, oh. I don't know that I would have survived them. So you know, your savior becomes your executioner at some point where it's going to destroy you. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I mean, hmm.
0: listening to other people, I really do understand how lucky we are. And this isn't necessarily the norm at all, which is why, you know, we, uh, with you know, Dana has evolved the title of our podcast to include, you know, marriage in the title. As well, because mm-hmm. talking about that as well.
2: Can I tell you my most favorite marriage tip? Yeah. <laughs> um, besides the poor baby and a hug thing, oh, that's and a I'm good like, one. That's a very good one. <laughs> when I first got over, I had this sponsor who um, I love her to death, Julie. I would say to her, I'd call her, and I'd be like, "Bobby did this, Bobby did that." Blah, blah, blah. And you, she would say to me, she'd be like, "I don't sponsor Bobby. I sponsor you. <laughs> <So> let's <laughs> talk about you." And she would help me talk it through, you know, do four step, you know, the, who I was resentful at the specific exact cause of the resentment, how it affected me and what my part was, meaning what, what was my pattern of behavior. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I felt like people were being mean to me. Turns out they were responding to something I had done. Right. Mm -hmm. It was, they were provoked in some way right? Uh Or I had done something in some way and I didn't see that part. I was just being me. All I could see was what you did wrong. So when, when Julie and I would work together, she would help me get clarity about my pattern of behavior, how my behavior affected him and how I may have hurt him or provoked him or however you want to say that. And she would help me get to the place of empathy for him. Uh, where I was truly like, Oh wow. He's somebody I love. And I'm, you know, I, this is my part in this pattern and owning it and being willing to go to him and humility, genuine humility. Like, cause I love this person. He's my favorite person and be like, Oh, I see now my pattern. I'm sorry. I see the pattern. I could see how you would feel that way. And this is what I'm going to try to do different. And be open to the dialogue. If you see this coming, you know, whatever, just be open to dialogue. And meanwhile, he's doing the same thing with his sponsor. Mm. And so when we come together, we're both seeing our parts and willing to take responsibility. And I really, and that process resolves resentment. And I really feel like it's, it's the resentment that is the wedge in a relationship, because sometimes you get to that place where all you can see is your own pain and all the, and there becomes this long history of, you know, crimes for a lack, we, we, you know, start building this dossier of the other person's guilt. Mm-hmm. But until we can look at
1: ourselves and own our part, nothing changes.
3: Mm.
1: So. I've said a million times, <clears throat> a nurse gave me a journal when Maz went into his medically induced coma and said, you're going to mm-hmm. need it. And I didn't even really know what she meant, but I I took the journal and I, you know, sitting next to him, just started to write, having no idea what I was going to say or or anything else. And about 85 pages later, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I know that that journal is the reason that we're together from my perspective, because that's where I had to really get honest about what role did I play in this? What did mm-hmm. I show up as? Who did I, who did I show up as? What what harm did I cause this person that mm-hmm. helped feed, fuel, or or um abet his addiction? And had I not done that, I don't think we'd be together because I would not have been able to let go of just the resentment and looking at him and saying, mm-hmm this um, when, <clears throat> I, you know, wasn't perfect by the time he woke up, we had a lot of work yet to do, yeah. but I yeah. certainly knew that I had a, I was a character in this story Yeah. and yeah. A character who was not just a victim. And that was yeah. really important.
2: Really important. I was so brave to do that self-examination. And Maz was asleep for all of it.
0: feel <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, I, I got um, when I got to rehab, uh, I had a, a lot of um, important and um, helpful um, <laughs> self-reflection to do myself. So, well, and you we, can imagine we, I had we, we caught up. Yeah, I, I
1: had plenty of things to say at him when he did wake up. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't yeah.
2: all.
3: So
2: I'm going to have to have you on my podcast because I have so many questions. I'm so curious as to um, how long was rehab for you? Was it like the 30 day stint type of thing? Uh,
1: so four and a half weeks
2: four a, well, of it was, inpatient it was
0: four and a half weeks of inpatient and then two weeks of of, of i call it day release so i i went from oh. 3 30 like
3: outpatient in terms yeah. of outpatient yeah, yeah. and then but,
0: did you
2: do 12 steps or anything else after that
0: we did that all the way through that and i i go to regular aa meetings um, Oh,
2: just, okay and how long ago was that
0: five years three months from four days
2: I love it. When people know exactly, I was like, oh, he's in it to win
0: it. (laughs) One of the most powerful things we did, we had to write um, an obituary. One when we (gasps) did drinking and one when we did. And my counsellor said to me, have you noticed what's missing in the one? You didn't write, you didn't mention what's in the one where you kept drinking and died. And I said, yeah, I didn't mention Dana. Mm.
3: Wow.
0: I did put a lot of pressure on our only one child because in the one where I gave up drinking, we had a very happy life and we had six grandchildren. Wow. <laughs> so.
1: We won't go with that.
0: That's, twins got that's, some a, yeah,
1: that's
2: asking too much of Quinn. Maybe you can marry somebody with five. You never
0: know. <laughs> so maybe he's got yeah. a bit of leeway. <laughs>
2: There's a lots, of, lots of ways that can happen. It's
0: fine. No,
2: <laughs> wow, I had no idea. Yeah, there
0: might be twins. Yeah, that's true. Three sets. <laughs>
3: Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, no, maintaining the maintaining relationships
1: afterwards is super important. It does take two. It does take two. It mm-hmm. does. Cause nobody falls into this alone. I mean, your, your little nine or 10 year old self did not pick up that drink. Absolutely alone. Something in your life mm-hmm. helped you decide that that was a, an avenue to go down.
3: Yeah. And mm-hmm.
1: everybody's got to own that. You might have been the drinker. But you didn't get there alone and you haven't gotten out of it alone. And that's that has been, for me, the most profound part of these conversations is just, it, as you said early on, everybody's recovering from something. We talk about that all the time. Alcohol is the noun that daily dose is based on, but it could be anything.
3: It's a symptom of a deeper
2: problem. And I've come to sort of the conclusion that. um addiction and obsession because there's a lot of there's like the process addictions as well as the physical chemical addictions but the purpose of obsession or addiction is distraction it's distraction from the pain right and so Gabor Mate was one of those guys who you know big in the recovery community he said not why the don't ask why the addiction ask why the pain Uh right and so this you know recovery has become this learning how to metabolize that pain and process it to resolution so that it's not driving that compulsion. And it's so interesting, you know, when we develop these pains in childhood or whatever, we disassociate and disconnect. That's how we survive. But it becomes this big mystery of like, why am I acting like this? Like later in life and doing all these terrible, why am I acting like this? I have no clue why. because i'm disassociated from my pain i'm not even aware that it's there half the time yeah and so that's what recovery is about it's recovering our whole selves the good and the bad it's recovering the memories and processing that pain instead of carrying it or covering it it's uh it's a trip but it's 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 amazing to watch when people you know are able to release that stuff i tell people i make people cry for a living that's what I do because, we, we, you know, you're working with someone and they realize yeah. the pain is released through tears. Yeah. Like people yeah. release through tears. And that's what I know I'm doing my job is when someone's crying, I'm like, oh, phew. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Good Arlena, where can people find your podcast? I'm on all the
2: major podcast players, Absolutely. iTunes, Spotify, all the things. Um, if you go to soberlifeschool.com, that's sort of like the hub. So I teach a self-esteem class, and I do one-on-one coaching. I mean, I encourage people to try all the free programs. Um, I'm actually in the process. I'm going to be publishing a um, AA survival guide for people who are interested. For the you know for people who want to try 12 steps like the sober curious, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of like resistance to 12 step programs. So yes. uh, this will be sort of, I totally know we're over time, but.
0: But uh, no, there's
2: no time. Do you, do, yeah. do you have a lot
0: of, um, I've noticed this myself, you know, it's, it's the religious part of it. That oh, a lot it's of the people, religious. Yeah.
2: It's the um, powerlessness. It's the you know, people in AA, it's not the hotbed of mental health, right? So there's, that's where sick people go. So, and then people are offended that the sick people say dumb things or hurtful things. And it's like, P.S., not one person is speaking for all of the program, right? So if somebody says something you don't like, next I mean, it's literally a take what you like, leave the rest. And it's not religious, it's spiritual. There's a difference. You know, religion is
0: general- I mean, what I mean. That they that it's not really defined if for the people who just take the book, yeah, Don't get over. I mean, I've had some great examples where this kid he, he must work well, kid, he's, he's probably about 22. But you know, that's a kid, if, <laughs> if 30 years younger than me, you're a kid.
2: Yeah, I'm in my 50s. Anyone under 20 so, is a baby. <laughs> a story
0: about he couldn't find his you know his um something to believe in you know what what his foundation for faith was and he said you know he's the guy who was sponsoring said what did you do when i told you to sit down so i sat down he said well your faith at the minute right now is the fact that you had faith that chair wouldn't collapse
3: oh that's a good one
0: i and that really stuck with me i thought that's brilliant because a lot of people (laughs) make Take. as soon as someone mentions the word faith you think of a religion and it's not necessarily that
2: yeah it's yeah. not there's you know i talk to people who are atheists who are able to um you know take uh, you know like dive into the program because they use virtually the principles around spirituality like kindness and love and grace so they could, they're calling it something else but it's all the same so it doesn't matter what you call it. You know, people use the word God just because it's easiest. You kind of, everyone kind of, you say God, everyone kind of knows what you're talking about. It's a spirit. It's, you know, but what I didn't know when I first got there was that you could define what that word meant. We mm-hmm. so can assign new meaning and redefine what it means to you. I didn't know that that was a thing.
1: I grew up religious where it was like, this is what it means.
2: And right, I mean, there's
3: there's
1: One true God and it looks, he looks like a grandma. He,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. Looks like
1: thing. Yeah.
2: There's a lot yep. of women out there with a lot of religious trauma and can't get past it. And 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 listen, I love the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, but like chapter to the wise. It's a tad
0: condescending. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was written in the 1930s by, you know, men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Bill, bless his heart. You know, it's an amazing book. And you know, you know what's so funny is he wrote the twelve and twelve after doing some that Maybe that's a whole nother story, like
0: oh, he'd, he'd swapped addictions. Oh, I didn't mother. know that. Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah. I don't, yeah, so that that's yeah. kind of interesting, but yeah, there are some very typical things I hear in the broader recovery community why why people can't or won't go. It's like turning your will over to something else. It feels like it's an external locus of control. It's actually not. Mm. It's you think a higher
0: power is outside of you. It's actually still within I you Outside you. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's
3: this is this,
0: to say that though that's i mean you're absolutely right but if you're in an aa group where they don't explain that people do tend to get lost well, there's a lot of um yeah. but, you know, it's, it's just people you know we, again we're none of yeah. us are perfect so
2: it's a great place to practice you know there are some so anyway i feel like so this survival guide is i'm going to publish it probably exactly. by the end of the month That it's the survival guide that addresses you know what it is it's context and it's perspective so that people don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. People don't say, oh, this is not for me. And they miss this yeah. process that is so amazing. You yep. know, they say, oh, alcoholic is a shame label. Really? In my world, it's a badge of honor. Yeah. You know, it's like, and so I'm trying to close the gap between those kinds of ideas. Yeah. if oh. you just reframe these things, these hurdles that you're presenting as obstacles And the reason I want people to go is it's free. It's there's, you have the ability to do service. You get to talk, you know, speaking your truth is so liberating and empowering. You do service there. You're constantly like, uh, uh, revisiting the information that helps you stay sober. I mean, it's anyway, and it, there's just so many reasons to do it. So this guy, it's like the survival guide for the,
1: I love that. So we will um, keep track of that and share it with our audience. As soon
3: as
1: it's done. Excellent. All right. One more thing from Bonnie Bowman. You're the most informative guest. What you are saying is applicable to any person in any situation. Is Addiction is one component. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I I almost always listen to these conversations and think that (laughs) I have so many pieces of it that I relate to, even though it's. Is not a problem, and so many insights to take to just go about my own life, and that would be true for everybody. So, Arlena, thank you, thank you. thanks for
2: having me. It's so much fun. You guys are adorable, and I'm gonna. I'll, I'll chat with you later about coming onto my podcast. Yeah,
0: we, we would That's love to meet you or individually. Yeah, fantastic to meet you. best of luck.
3: Thank you so much. It was great meeting y'all. You
0: Finish your book
1: so we can yes. um, read, talk about it, and share it with everyone on our world. Sounds great. Thanks so much, everybody else. We Thank will you. see you on Tuesday. Have a great day. Thanks so much for tuning in to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and DD. If you enjoyed the content and want to learn more, head over to Facebook to Daily Dose Dr. Mary DD. You can find us on YouTube under Dana Del And if you want to get signed up for our weekly newsletter, Email me at d a y-n-a at d-a-y-n a d e l-v A L dot com. Have a great day. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.